Okay, welcome to another episode of the All Things Endurance podcast powered by Ueska. I'm your host, Rick Prince, and I'm excited to have as a guest on our show today, Rachel Lehman. Rachel is a running coach, an ultra running coach, registered dietitian, certified personal trainer. She's got a lot of credentials. And the reason I'm so excited to have Rachel on is a lot of the questions that we get here at USCA pertain to the business side. Uh, you know, how to, how to acquire clients, how to retain them, marketing, um, how much to charge. I mean, the list is, the list is endless. So I figured what better way, uh, to, to address some of these questions and to speak to someone who is currently running a thriving coaching business, Rachel. Um, and so I'm excited to have her on to answer some of these questions. So yeah, without further ado, welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. Totally honored. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to chat with you about this. So before we get started into some of the, the meat and potatoes questions, I think it might be helpful for some of the listeners to understand sort of what's your background, um, education, sport background, coaching background, um, if you might be able to provide some of the some of the highlights there. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned a couple things about my background, but I'll delve in a little bit more. Um, yeah, so I'm, I've been a registered dietitian for 13, almost 13 years now. So that is what I studied in college and primarily what I had been doing prior to kind of building this business. Um, I'm a newer certified personal trainer, just a couple years there in the bank. Um, and yes, of course, certified running coach and ultra running coach. Um, but really to the sport, I, you know, I think this is very relatable to a lot of people. Um, I didn't run in high school or college, you know, I exercised, sure. Um, but I didn't do any type of um, track team, cross country, things like that growing up. Um, running came more to me um, in my 20s, my early 20s. So um, that's kind of, you know, what began the path to today, of course. But yeah, I, I mostly just exercised for fun. Um, but yeah, being a dietitian, that's kind of primarily what I've been up to um, prior to starting this. Got it. Great. So w when did you start coaching? Um, when did you sort of initially start your coaching journey? Yeah, so interesting you ask. Um, I, let's see, um, the thought process kind of began after I had my second daughter. And I, you know, as I mentioned, I, I had been running and, um, you know, had accomplished some goals and things before that. I, you know, when I had my first daughter and then when I had the second, um, I found it to be a lot harder to get back into running. I felt awful. Um, there were just some game changing things going on. And I thought, man, I, I need to change something. And I thought, you know, maybe I need a run coach. I need to hire a coach. And so, you know, you're up in the middle of the night with a younger baby, you know, just kind of learning and reading and reading and reading and um, just kind of came to the conclusion of, yeah, you know, I could hire a running coach, but what do the running coaches know that I couldn't learn? Maybe this is something that I could do. You know, I felt like I was fairly knowledgeable at that point. Um, I had run, I don't know, several, several marathons, ultra marathons, you know, I had mileage under my belt. So I thought maybe this is something I could learn and coach myself. Right. Um, so I went on to get the certification, um, in that time frame, And, um, then once I got certified and actually kind of kicked things off, um, to specifically answer your question, I officially started coaching in March of 2020. And I think mm. we all kind of know what was going on at that point. So, sure. uh, yeah, that's when. Okay. And now when did you transition from, uh, from sort of doing it as a side gig to your nutrition job to when you were sort of doing it full-time? I know when we talked before this, it was sort of a gradual process. If I remember, um, was there a certain, uh, point in time when you're like, okay, I'm all in with this coaching thing. I'm going to just sort of focus on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I took my time, you know, I probably could have made the leap a bit sooner. Um, but I didn't, I, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel right. Um, so I, I finally did make the leap. So I started things off March of 2020. Um, that year was obviously a little different for everyone in many ways. Um, so then 2021 getting back into things, um, you know, races coming back on board, things like that. Um, and then I became pregnant with my 
third daughter. Um, so I knew I was going to be going through a lot of transition at that point. Um, so I had, you're right. I, I did kind of transition out of, I was working full-time as a dietitian. Um, then I moved into part-time around three days a week and then, um, kind of landed it more into two days a week as a dietitian and doing three days of run coaching. So it was slowly like the business was growing and my dietitian role, fortunately just kind of worked out, um, to where I could balance both. It was a lot, um, but I could balance it and I knew, okay, well, I've got to, you know, get through, you know, I've got to have this baby, healthy baby, um, and then have a maternity leave and then really see, you know, going on maternity leave when you're just starting a business is an interesting curveball too. <laughs> so trying to say, you know, how's this going to work? Um, navigating that and then, you know, getting back to work and also a growing family. So, um, I did, you know, uh, our daughter, third daughter was born on Christmas day, um, took maternity <laughs> leave, thankfully, um, went back to work for a couple of months. And then that's when I decided to make the change, the change. Um, and truly, you know, our oldest daughter was then starting kindergarten and we had more transitions going on and, and the flexibility that this offers is really, um, it's a key component of this in my, in this time period of my life right now. So, that's kind of when I decided, you know what, I, I think it's finally time, time to make the leap. That's great. Now, was it scary? Cause I think a lot of coaches, a lot of people that, you know, go to venture off on their own, everyone has a different, you know, risk tolerance, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. Um, you know, when I started USCA, it was very much a side gig. I was working full time as a personal trainer. Uh, and then it just gradually grew and then kind of similar to you, you know, we had our son, we were living in New York City at the time and we decided, okay, we didn't want to stay here. You know, we decided to move out to Colorado, but it was kind of like, okay, I got to go all in with this, you know, mm -hmm. and hope that it works out. And, and I remember sort of being like 50% excited with the whole opportunity and what it can be. And the other 50%, to be honest, completely terrified. I'm like, oh mm -hmm. God, what if this doesn't work out? I'm no longer in my comfort zone. I'm in Colorado. I have a mm -hmm. newborn, you know? Um, so I, I say that because how, did you feel any of that when you went sort of full-time as well? Like, okay, you kind of cut off the registered dietitian thing. I'm going to focus on that. How Was there any bit of fear involved in that for you? Oh, yeah. Big time. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. So relatable because, you know, I've always worked. I mean, forever and ever. I think I my first job was like in eighth grade. I worked like... <laughs> a couple hours for my church, you know, on Saturday mornings, like I always had something going on. So always worked for someone else. So this, you know, being completely in control, but also responsible for my income for my family is horrifying, right? Because at any time <laughs> things could change. Um, yeah. I'm always very used to working for someone else um, and yeah. receiving that paycheck. So yeah, it, it definitely, it was very scary. And I think that that probably did prolong the leap for me to really make that change. Um, yeah, very relatable, very scary. For yeah, sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, obviously, you know, you made the right decision. You're, you're, you're running a thriving practice. Um, so how many uh, active running uh, athletes do you currently have on your roster? I think as of today, I think I've got 54. Um, it's amazing. and That's then great. I've got over 20 or a couple dozen within, um, group training and just other plans that I've, I've offered over time. So a, a good amount, that's for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, congratulations. That's, that's incredible. Thank um, you. so going back to the sort of business side of things, you know, and this is something, you know, I sort of experienced with the U.S. and certainly still do, um, you know, as the business grows or is growing, I experience sort of pain points. I, some days I feel like I experience pain points on a daily basis, um, <laughs> but certainly there are sort of snags that come along, you know, with growth, whether it be, okay, I need to add another head count. I need to figure out a way how to streamline this better. I don't have the time for this because you're wearing, you know, every single hat, you're marketing, you're, you know, mm -hmm. doing the coaching, you're all these things. So along the coaching journey that you've had, um, have, have there been any, you know, I mean, again, there's always challenges, but has there been any sort of specific pain points and challenges that you've run into as your coaching business has grown? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Gosh, yeah, a good handful of them because you're one person. <laughs> There's only so many hours in the day. You're flooded with ideas. Um, you know, you have all these different avenues, like you said, all these hats you have to wear, right? So you have like the marketing, the social media, you are the coach, you're responsible to, you know, get back to your athletes and make enough time for them. Um, when race season starts firing up, it gets, it gets hot in the summer. I mean, <laughs> we're cooking, we're, we are busy. So we're always talking, we're having meetings. Um, and then you have, you know, I have these ideas, like I want to grow these programs. I want to try something different um, or I want to try a new program. And then you think, man, this is this is tough. When am I going to make the time to do this stuff? I want to do it so bad. So you feel a little held back at, at points because I don't know if you're like me, you want to do everything at, today. I just want to get everything done all the time sure. <laughs> um, and be ahead, right? Who doesn't want to feel yeah. like they're ahead of the game? Um, so yeah, definitely some pain points there. But I think it's also, you can always, you know, get positive um, things out of, you know, the struggles and the pain points you learn, you know, oh, I should have gone about it this way, or I should have, you know, in hindsight, I wish I would have known that or tried this program first. So, oh, absolutely. And things have certainly evolved since day one. I mean, the offerings are different. Um, just what's available to the athlete is different. Um, so that kind of came with, you know, leaving the dietitian uh, part-time gig, you know, allowing that time to open up has allowed me to now expand on my dietitian services, on my strength services. So, um, even though, yeah, the days are short, they go really fast, um, <laughs> through the, the pain points and kind of just being patient and waiting it out. Now we're kind of, you know, sitting in a spot where, man, I've been, I've been thinking about doing these things that I'm doing for a long time. So it's, it's exciting too. Yeah. That's great. So again, for, for new coaches out there or for aspiring coaches, um, kind of what you were talking about with the different pain points, are there any mistakes or things that you, if, if you had to do it all again, if you were you know starting today from scratch, are there any things that you would say, even though we learn from our mistakes, right? And sometimes they're just a necessary function. Is there anything you say, okay, I definitely don't want to do that again, or I definitely would not do that again? <laughs> um, gosh, I'm trying to think if there is. Uh, you know, I guess what I would say is it's just, it's kind of like, you can really relate it to running when you try to like, maybe force, like, I, I want to run this race and I want to run this time. And then maybe you don't hit the time. You don't hit the time, but you're learning along the way, um, kind of forcing the changes to happen too fast, um, can be, uh, exhausting, right? You don't want to, you know, run yourself into the ground. You're only one person. If you're starting up, you're doing, you're likely doing this by yourself. So really focusing on prioritizing and not, you know, trying to do everything it was, like I said, that can be, uh, that probably would be my best advice. Maybe make a longer timeline. You know, that's not mm -hmm. something that I ever really set out. Like, let me look at the entire year ahead of time. Let me say, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? What about this project? Where does it fit? What is the priority? I didn't really start prioritizing projects, I would say, until um, the fall of last year because I had the availability to do that. So mm -hmm. maybe that taking the pressure off of yourself and really just prioritizing, okay, I just need to get started, right? And I need, what do I need to get started? And then what's a, a later project or something else that you you know, we all have these ideas. I'm sure you do too with USGA and how you plan to grow it and all of these cool things you want to do. It just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for people like you and I, or coaches like you and I that want to do everything all at once and just get it done. And I think that's mm -hmm. probably even more of a challenge. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's, the struggle is real in that respect for sure. Yes. Um, so, so you had noted that, uh, that you have, you know, the about 54 clients online and about 20 or so in groups. So, um, so you're doing both, you're working with both local clients then as well as online based clients, I'm guessing across the country, across the United States. Well, I would say 95% of my athletes are local, surprisingly. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Northeast Ohio. Um, we've got a great running community around us, which um, has just been amazing. But I have had a few people out of state, um, a handful of people come and go from different areas who might have lived in Ohio or um, knew me through a good friend or something like that who lives um, somewhere else. So primarily... I am online, 
but I am in person. So it's like I do day to day, even though my athletes are local, we're pretty much online because everyone's got, you know, stuff and things all day. Um, And then the in-person things we do, I offer um, in-person visits. If you're close, I'm here at my office. You can come in, we sit down, we can meet face to face. Awesome. We've done little runs, things like that. Um, checking out form, you know, things one-on-one if we need to, um, and some workshops and things. I've got some great practitioners in the area who've offered to host my athletes. And so we can do some one-on-one things in that sense. Um, And then, like I said, when race season really fires up, it's, I feel so fortunate to be able to show up and watch when they're going into, you know, mile 60 of their race, their hundred miler, and they're heading into the night. And I show up at 11 PM and we're like, let's go. You know, it's really so cool to be able to do that. And I think that you can just see the athletes in person. Like, it's just so exciting to be able to kind of trickle in all the different areas. Yeah, that's awesome. That's the, yeah, I didn't even really think about that from the, from the being able to show up to the, to the races, mm-hmm. uh, point of view. Um, now, do you ever, I know you said sometimes you'll run with them doing like, um, you know, form, you know, working on their form or whatever. Do you ever, do you have any clients that you, they only train when they run with you or is they pretty, they're pretty much just on their own, um, for the most part, as far as running? I didn't know if you, you know, when I worked as a trainer and, and cycling coach, a lot of times some of the cycling coaches would incorporate their own training into mm-hmm. that of their athletes and they would actually go on rides with them and so on and so forth. So I didn't know if, if you did any of that or is it, is it kind of kept, kind of keeps the two separate. I kind of keep them separate. Um, although a lot of times, um, I coach some of my friends or through our running club, a lot of my athletes will attend running clubs. So I'll technically run with them there. But when you sign on, the expectation is, you know, this is a kind of a virtual option. You know, we're in touch, we're in communication, but I don't necessarily, I'm not the coach that can, you know, always, you know, be there with every run. So if they are looking for that, then I kind of, you know, of course, let them know that I won't be able to fulfill that need um, right now. So, which most are okay with. They, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And this is something that I don't think we had sort of in our previous notes to discuss. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I first started working as a personal trainer, I worked in this big gym in New York City. And one of the trainers said to me, he said, you know, the biggest difference is up until this point, going to the gym was your your time. You know, it was your relaxing mm-hmm. time to work out and so on and so forth. Now, when you walk into the gym, it's your place of work and you're around other trainers all day. You're, you know, and he said, you're probably going to get burned out. And I'm like, well, all right, well, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and lo and behold, I did. You know, I just, yeah. I hated being in the gym. I hated even working out because I was just around it, you know, all day. And and it was funny. I was working as a trainer and I was like, you'd have to drag me kicking and screaming to the gym. You know, I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to be there. I didn't even really want to work out. I just wanted to, you know, watch Netflix or something or take a nap. So <laughs> I don't know, you know, that's something that, and I've heard that from a lot of trainers, a lot of coaches. Have you experienced that yourself personally with, I don't want to use the word burnout, but you know, running is now your profession. It's, it's how you, you know, pay the bills. Um, have you noticed any of that or not really so much? Actually, to be honest. Yeah, I have. Um, it's so interesting because you're, I've noticed it more, um, at local races, um, hmm races that maybe I would do each year or more frequently have now kind of the tables have turned into, you tend to know a lot of people, um, a lot of socializing, you know, and you're, if you're showing up to race, you're, if you're me, you know, I'm maybe warming up. I'm trying to get in the mindset. I'm getting my water. I'm getting my last bathroom stop in. I'm making sure I've got my gear. I'm running back to get my bib or whatever it's a lot to balance. And I've learned that, that, that is tough, um, on race days. So I've, I have kind of separated the two a little bit more for that sake, because I do want to be present as a coach and, uh, kind of putting that out there, that fine line of like, you know, it's like with Boston coming up, um, you kind of do, you have to draw the line a little bit. Hey guys, I'm going to be out of commission for, you know, a short period of time. I have a race to focus on. I would imagine all of my athletes could certainly understand that, um, to kind of help separate the two, I think is super important. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and to your point, kind of what you just said, you found that your athletes are, are understanding of that, that, you know, mm-hmm. okay, 
not only is Rachel my coach, but she's also an athlete herself who's trying to accomplish these athletic goals. And they, they definitely get it, huh? Yeah, they really do. And you're right. It is something that you didn't, I didn't definitely didn't see that coming. It's something that you think like, oh, this is fun and exciting. And then you're like, this is different now. You know, this has definitely changed. So, I mean, for the better, it's very cool. But I think just knowing yourself and if you are a coach trying to race your own race, setting that boundary or expectation can really be a good game changer. Yeah. Yeah. It, when it was funny, you know, for me personally, cause I worked at what was arguably sort of the most high end gym in New York city at the time. And, and I learned that most of the other trainers would get, um, would have gym memberships to other gyms just cause when, to your point, you know, you're trying to, you know, with the race, get your water, get all the, your gear in, you know, all the, I'm sure all your local athletes are there. You know, my, my clients, other trainers would come up to me when I'm trying to do my workout all the time and I get nothing accomplished. So I think, you know, and I'm like, well, why would you pay initially? I'm like, why would you pay for another gym membership when you have this amazing gym for free? And in about a month or two into my job, I'm like, oh, I get it. And I, so I got a gym membership as well. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it makes complete sense. And it certainly wasn't anything that, you know, I was really even ever thought about, you know, the whole, you know, what used to be your relaxing time is now your job. So it's, uh, it, it was, uh, definitely eye-opening. Um, so g- going back to the whole kind of how you've been so successful, um, what have been some of your marketing strategies? Um, and I'm sure that's changed maybe now with more word of mouth that you're so that you have such a big client roster, but um, what have been your primary marketing strategies? Maybe at the different timelines, um, the beginning, maybe midway through and sort of where you're at now. Yeah. Yeah. That's, this is a great question. Um, because when I think about that, I'm like, wow, what have I done for marketing knowingly or unknowingly? Um, you know, at first, like I said, when I kicked off the whole world changed, you know, everything was closing down. Um, but runners still wanted to run and I'm thinking, wow, I'm still having people sign on. Cause we're thinking, you know, if these races get bumped to the fall, we can still do them. I mean, sure. you know, things are supposedly shut down for a couple weeks, then a month, then this, then that things evolved and changed. But so I think initially, unknowingly, my marketing was, you know, I put this platform out here, my, I'm sorry, myself on a platform and just started to get to know people. Um, I started working with, um, because of COVID, I started working with, um, I've always been great friends with um, our local running club, um, Nicole, one of my great friends. So we kind of worked together and then we kind of all came together with our local running store. Um, Second Soul in Akron. Um, we came together with local race directors, races, um, physical therapists, um, Orange Theory Fitness, yoga studios. Like we all band together and we built what was called the Akron Running Project. Mm. Um, so we kind of like, we all knew we wanted to keep runners running. And so during that time, it was like, we were just focused on like, what can we do? Um, how can we do it? How can we keep people excited? But, you know, kind of just work through what's going on right now. So unknowingly, I'm, you know, putting out content, putting out videos, um, talking to people, um, working with the different people in that group um, to kind of get things moving. Um, And then kind of that middle era between then and now was like, um, everything's firing back up. I'm, you know, now I'm working full-time back in an office. I'm just kind of holding on for dear life. You know, I'm trying to balance the the home, the family, the kids, the full-time, you know, plus a commute, plus the coaching. Um, so that marketing might've just been word of mouth, you know, and kind of people coming and going at that point. Um, and now looking back, it's like, if I would have known, then what I know now, and if you are a coach that's starting out, I mean, maybe that would be my advice of like getting together with your local people. I mean, you're now, if you're a coach and you're planning to do things in person in your community, you're a community person. You know, you you want to get out there. You want to be familiar with your local running stores, your race directors, and kind of get a feel for, you know, where you can kind of weave your web um, that kind of thing. So now marketing, I would say, I mean, as of today, I don't have a plan in front of me. (laughs) I probably should, (laughs) but, um, right now we're just, I put programs out. 
I try to, you know, put content out. Um, for a long time, I kind of listened to things on how to start your own business. Um, and a lot of it was social media driven. So I try to, you know, stay present. I try to show what I'm doing um, the way I prefer to. Um, and I try to just show off my team because I'm so proud of them. <laughs> um, and so I think it might just speak for itself too. Um, yeah. When you show kind of your team accomplishments, you're like, hey, this is what I have to offer. A great community, great athletes. If you're local, come on, let's have some fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously that would present the local part would obviously prevent or present more of a problem if, you know, if you live, you're fairly isolated, you don't live a lot around a lot of those resources, but then to your point, still showcasing the athletes, you do have things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's so cool what you did. I think, you know, any, I feel like any marketing thing for coaching will say, you know, network in your community, build a, you know, build your, uh, build your team, you know, your physiotherapist, your running store. But I've never heard of anyone that did what you did where they actually called it something, you know, mm -hmm. the, the Akron running project where everyone's in it all together. And it's actually like an actual project. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I'm, I'm assuming that those other businesses, Orange Theory, you know, running store, all those have also benefited from that as well. Like it's sort of all in this pod for lack of a better word. Would you say that they, you know, the, the uptick in business that you saw from that, those collaborations, they also saw as well? Yeah, I would say so. You know, we all kind of heard different feedback at one point or other of, oh, I watched this, um, the videos you guys made, or I did those workouts that you posted on the Akron Running Project. Um, I think we all found it to be beneficial in different ways. You know, we found ourselves as business owners looking, you know, striving to connect with people along the way. And this is a way to do it. Runners were looking for anything to latch onto at that point. Um, so I think it just kind of kept us in, involved and really forced everyone. I mean, I think that era kind of forced everything to change anyway, but to kind of make a change and do something different. Um, and yeah, I definitely think it kept our community going um, in a way that wouldn't have happened at all. So it, it is really cool to reflect on that. That yeah, that, that's a, that's, that sounds incredible. That sounds really awesome. Um, so obviously, you know, as a coach, you know, there, as you hear all the time in the business world, it costs a lot more money to acquire a client than it does to retain one. But I feel like coaching, personal training, that whole industry, it's a little bit different, right? Because especially with coaching, you know, you might have someone trying to train for Boston, that's their, their bucket list goal. And then after that, they're done, P perhaps, perhaps no. Mm -hmm. But um, cause I, I feel like, unfortunately, so many times in, in these coaching industries and personal training, you know, if you don't retain a client, if you don't keep them for the rest of your life, it's viewed as a negative. And, and I don't think that's always the case. It's maybe someone just wanted to train for XYZ race and, and they're done and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing I think that a lot of new coaches don't understand, uh, is that these are relationships. They really are. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and just like, personal relationships, sometimes they don't always work out, right? Like maybe mm -hmm. it's a personality difference. Maybe it's just whatever. So I've always felt like retention is not necessarily the best metric is if someone's a good coach or not. Um, mm -hmm. But that being said, retention is important to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. So which kind of brings me up to my next uh, topic. How do you retain clients? Like, do you make a concerted effort for that? You know, let's say I'm, I'm working with you and my goal is, you know, Boston. Um, to keep me with you, or is that something that just sort of organically happens? Or so I, I guess maybe that's a long-winded way of saying. Do you have any specific retention strategies that you use with your athletes? Yeah, well, this is a great question um, because I remember when I first started coaching, and I remember when the first athlete dropped off, and I thought, "Oh no, did I do something wrong?" You know, and then you start to think like. It's just so unrealistic to expect anyone to do anything year round all the time. So sure. um, with retention, um, you know, I initially started this with just one on one coaching. Um, really, nothing else was offered, just that, just individualized plans. And then we kind of evolved into different things. Um, I offer different programs, um, different ways of coaching to kind of to help with situations like that. Sometimes that's what the athlete might be looking for. They just want a plan. They don't want or maybe need the frills of coaching at that very point in time. 
Um, or they've hit their big goal. Like you mentioned, they've gone to Boston and now what? Um, maybe they want a little coaching, but they're like, you know, I really want to back off a little bit. So I have developed different programs in that sense. Um, not necessarily with retention in mind, but that is something that would maybe retain an athlete who else may have left, you know, otherwise, because maybe they just didn't want the one-on-one -on -one coaching. But I think at the end of the day, when I really think about retention, it's when I think this, this comes so natural to coaches who are passionate about it, um, to passionate about coaching and working with people, you are unknowingly usually just as you work through anything, you're going through your athletes runs, you're having meetings with them, you're building a relationship, um, with that athlete, um, professional, maybe a little bit of a friendship, um, just over time. And I think that if, like you said, if the personalities are there, it's a good connection. It's a good fit with the coach and athlete that at the end of the day, in hindsight, I think that's your biggest retention factor is, you know, building those relationships. And I think, like I said, you naturally kind of do that because you care. You care about what you do. You care about your business. You care about your athletes. It just kind of comes naturally to, to you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are great points. I would agree. You know, it's funny when I first got into the fitness management, like managing personal trainers and general manager, I always thought, you know, the thing that people would get in trouble for would be like big ticket items, right? Like, I don't know, they punch someone in the face or something like that. <laughs> but it was always the basics of any job. It was showing up on time, returning emails, returning phone calls, writing programs when you're supposed to. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think for so many, not coaches per se, well, I'm sure some coaches, um, the standard of, of that has gone down um, just is maybe just as, as a whole. Um, so I found that to your point, being professional, you know, um, doing what you say you're going to do, um, mm -hmm. being nice, all these things like that, they all matter. And, and I think a lot of people sort of, uh, you know, don't even think about that because that's just who they are. But, mm -hmm. um, like my wife, for example, um, she, she had a friend who was trying to hire a triathlon coach. And, uh, so we, we gave this person a few different names and none of them called them back. None. Ugh. And I'm like, this is like, it's kind of like here, take my money. And, and, you know, no one's taking it. It's very bizarre to me. Like you would mm -hmm. hang out your shingle and say, Hey, I'm a triathlon coach and never return phone calls. So mm -hmm. I, yeah, I agree. I think just having, being a professional, being nice, you know, and just doing a great job goes, that's, I agree. I think that's probably the best retention strategy. Oh, absolutely. And you're so right. Um, because as a business owner, you start working with other businesses and then you realize that exact thing, the ones that are delayed in communication, they don't reply, or yeah. you're looking for something and you're, you know, you're excited about it. You're hoping to hear back as soon as possible. So the good communication, yes, it's essential. And really actually like listening to what your athlete is saying and probably what they're not saying too, to really, yeah. I mean, spending the time, um, could I just throw in plans and, um, just kind of shuffle around? Sure. But would my retention rate be as high? No, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, you do. You have to have a lot of different pieces to that puzzle. And that's a great, great example to kind of think, think about when it comes to this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So the next thing I want to talk about, and this is another question we get a lot at USCA is pricing. And, and while you certainly don't have to tell me what price you charge, um, I think it's interesting because a lot of you know, a lot of people train remotely. So there's sort of, there's no benchmark per se, right? Like it's, they could be training, mm -hmm. you know, clients in the U S or maybe internationally. Um, as someone who trains mostly local clients or local athletes, how much of a, uh, of that influences, okay, this is what the market will bear. I live in Akron. This is about what the fees are, um, mm -hmm. versus, cause I, I feel like a lot of coaches often have this struggle, like, okay, I live here. The average coach charges X, Y, Z, but I feel a lot more qualified than them. I feel like I should be charging, you know, two X, three X or whatever that is that ever a struggle for you? And, and I guess, how do you, how did you determine your pricing structure? Oh, this was like one of the hardest things um, <laughs> that I, yeah, I remember having so many conversations with different people, uh, my family, my husband, my friends, um, looking at, you know, market research, right? So it does, it, it depends on so many things. What's your experience? You know, what do you have to offer? Do you have other credentials? You know, what, what services are you going to offer based upon that? Um, 
you know, where, yeah, where do you live or plan to serve? If you are going virtual, I guess then it doesn't necessarily matter where, you know, cost of living might be where you're at. If you're aiming for a virtual clientele all across, you know, United States, um, then in that case, you know, you can look at other virtual coaches. Um, you can kind of assess their pricing or their offerings and kind of maybe gauge based off of that. Cause that's your competition. That's what's out there. Um, this was the hardest thing because in my area, really, there's not a lot of run coaching going on. So when I started, I'm thinking, what on earth, you know, what, how do, and then you feel like, how do I charge people? Right. Like the, I have to make this decision, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's our livelihood. It's our experience, our time. Um, so yeah, lots of conversations, um, just kind of gathering feedback, um, whether that person offered a number or not, just kind of listening to how they kind of would talk through it. Then really thinking like, what would I, if I want to hire a run coach, what would I want to pay? What would I be willing to to pay? What what sounds reasonable? What sounds like, whoa, this is a big investment. Um, but yeah, I think looking at, if you're looking at your area, you know, cost of living, if you do have any other run coaching, personal training, um, fitness, wellness services in your area, what, what are they charging, you know, and then really taking into account what's your experience, you know, what do you have to offer? And what programs are you offering? Are you simply writing plans? Um, Are you going to be involved? Are you going to be doing in person? Um, Kind of, there's so it's so like, uh, so much to unpack there with it, because it's not just that so much that comes out to that price point. And to me, you know, I want to be fair and I want to be reasonable and I want to be competitive too. Sure. Um, so that, that's been a tough, tough decision over time. Um, but it's once you kind of figure out that starting point, then if your services change or evolve or your experience or your certifications grow, then maybe you naturally are more comfortable. Well, I've got to bump up price a little bit. Now I'm offering more to my athletes. It's more time, things like that. Um, yeah, that that's a tough one. It is. It is. I mean, there there are an entire classes, right? MBA classes just dedicated to pricing, and it's 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 definitely a challenge. You know, you brought up a, a unique or a really interesting point about you know how do I charge like. I found the other thing that a lot of coaches have is almost guilt, you know, mm-hmm. and guilt slash maybe imposter syndrome, right? Like I'm yeah. new to this. I've never done it before. Um, why me? Like, why should mm-hmm. I charge? You know, cause a lot of people I think do start off, you know, just training people for free to get, to build up, um, you know, testimonials, so on and so forth, but which is great. But that, that minute that they, or that, once they make that conscious decision to say, okay, I am going to now charge for my services. That's when I think a lot, I know it was for me that that's when imposter syndrome, like, well, why me? Like, okay, I went to, I did go to school for it and whatever, mm-hmm. but like, it's just working out or it's just coaching. Why am I charging for this? You know? Um, and, and, and yeah, and, and not guilt, but for me, it was more imposter syndrome. But again, mm-hmm. did you personally feel any of that when you sort of hung out your shingle said, okay, my services cost X, Y, Z, um, any bit of that, like, well, why should I be charging this? Even though, you know, you should sort of that mm-hmm. voice in the back of your head. Yes. Oh, for sure. Um, especially as you're getting started, cause you're kind of thinking, I know I can do this, but then yeah, that self, that doubt creeps in. Um, you know, I think in any profession or in aspects of life, it's sure you can relate to, I should have done this. I could do this better. I don't, you know, we all, nobody knows everything, right? You're continually learning. You're continually trying to grow. That's the whole point too. But I think when you're first kicking off, yeah, you're absolutely thinking, can I really do this? Am I really going to get this athlete to where they want to be? Um, And maybe it was for me too, until I started seeing it happen, that was kind of like the reassurance, reassurance um, along the way, the accomplishments and things like that, that the athlete um, uh, just has over time, whether it's a PR or they ran the whole mile without walking, um, no matter what it is, that imposter syndrome could pop up along the way still, um, sure. Uh, but I think it it kind of puts it to rest a little bit more as you kind of just get started and get after it. Yeah. 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 I would, agree. I mean, I bet I would put money that you remember the name of the first athlete you signed that 
that yep. signed on mm-hmm. that line. I mean, I remember the first person that's, you know, purchased a certification to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's such a monumental thing. Cause like, Oh, cause it, it validates, I feel like why, and it, you know, as far as your value as a coach, like, Oh, wow. Okay. Someone does want to pay for this service. And then I think mm-hmm. comes, like you said, comes with that confidence and, and hopefully reduced imposter syndrome. So yeah, yeah. It, it's funny how that works. right? <laughs> it is. It truly is. So, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, you have, you have three kids, you're, you're obviously very busy, both with your own training, as well as coaching athletes, you know, 54 clients, plus what you're doing, you know, in person, as far as training groups. I mean, that, that is no joke. (laughs) That's, that's, that's serious time. How do you do it? I mean, for lack of a better word, how do you find time to write programs, you know, respond to emails, still have time to be with your family, train on your own, um, you know, whether it be, okay, I set aside these hours each day, or this is the day that I write programs. Um, how do you do it? And, and I guess we'll talk about this, maybe the next question. Do you use any technology, um, whether it be schedulers or, or whatever it may or may not be mm-hmm. to help you in, in that process? Yeah. Yeah, that that's so funny. Um, those definitely tie together in answering this question because, yeah, I um, it's a lot. Yeah, I, it's definitely busy. My kids are young right now; they need a lot. So when they're home, I'm mom, and I have sure. to draw the line. You know, there can't be the, you know, working on the couch or something like that with my kids home. No, it's just not happening. <laughs> It definitely, but it helps drawing that boundary, right? So no matter what you do, you know, dedicating that time, um, this is my specific work time. This is when I work. This is, you know, when we've got this and this and this going on. I'm still, um, I can hold it up. I'm still a paper and pencil person. (laughs) I've got it with me Me all the time. And, you know, the endless to-do list is great. Um, I've got all the doctor's appointments, all the things going on in there. Um, I, that's how I stay organized. But then I also, of course, use technology for the scheduling appointments. So I set up my availability where I do have complete days of, I know that I'm resting from my runs and my exercise. I know that I have this whole day blocked to myself to do things like plan writing. I know that if it's, you know, distracting for me to work in my home office, I can come to my office and really get some quiet time um, to write those plans. So I think knowing that the time that I do need, um, blocking that off, but still remaining available to my athletes to have those coaching check-ins or to schedule nutrition consultations and things like that. Um, and learning to say no sometimes, you know, really like, I've heard this analogy before somewhere, but you know, you kind of trim the fat. So you really have to look at like, what is necessary for me to do? Is this just like a, do I really, can I really accomplish this extra project or even an extra social media post? Like sometimes it just doesn't happen. I've gone through lots of periods of time where things like that just don't happen because there's no time in the day for it. And that's okay. Um, So really, yeah, the apps that I use to stay organized um, to answer part two is um, I use Calendly for um, scheduling, my scheduling, things like that. So I have different booking links for different appointments and I am pretty, you know, good about updating my availability. If the kids have a doctor's appointment coming up, making sure we're blocking that off, things like that, so that I'm staying ahead on that front. Um, and really just trying to bundle my time. So if I'm going to talk to one athlete tomorrow, I'm going to talk to four because mm-hmm. that's going to be an athlete day. And that's what we're going to do. Um, and then that way you have those days or times or blocks of time blocked off to do the plan writing when you have, you know, those different tasks to accomplish. So using that scheduler app, um, what else do I use? Um, well, I use Final Surge for coaching. Uh, plan writing. Of course, I could not do anything without uh, an app like that. I know some coaches use Excel spreadsheets and things, and I think you do just have to figure out what works for you. But I appreciate that platform so much. Um, Tim, I directly email him often. If I have something, he gets right back to me. He's great the best. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and I listened to a podcast that he was on about building that business. So it's, um, it's kind of (laughs) cool. 
learning more about him, but um, that app really helps streamline communication. Um, I was at a point I found myself with when I started coaching, it was like, Hey, here's my phone number, you know, let me know what you need. Um, so then it kind of got a little sticky. It was like text messages, Instagram messages, Facebook messenger, final surge, um, Calendly appointments or whatever. It was like messages were flying. So, um, it's really important. I think knowing what I know now, um, we kind of reeled it in. I, I streamlined communication. Um, I think I even had a Google phone number at one point. Um, mm. but just kind of learning, you know, the boundary of, okay, where's the communication going to lie? How am I going to schedule my appointments based on what you offer? Um, and how much time do I have available for that? So it's definitely something that takes time, just like when you're um, taking on any projects or learning something new, you kind of figure out where and when it fits into your life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So question um, for you, when you first started, and again, I know this is a challenge, I think for a lot of new coaches and, and people in this, in this space, you know, they want to get going, right. They want to, they want to have that full roster like you do tomorrow. Um, yeah. and, and they're willing to do anything to get that first paying client. One of the things that I found again, both in the fitness industry, as well as coaching, people might come to them and say, Hey, you know what, Rachel, I want to train with you. And my goal is a 600 mile running race. And let's yeah. say it's completely outside your scope of practice or bandwidth or, or knowledge, but you make the mistake and take them on anyway. Um, <laughs> I've, I've seen that, you know, in the personal training world, this happens a lot, right? Someone will say, you know, I'm training for muscle hypertrophy or something, and they just don't know anything about that. But they'll take them on anyway, and inevitably it fails because they can't get the results for them. Mm -hmm. um, did What would be your advice for someone starting off as far as would it be to, to for those, let's say they acquired or have an encounter with someone that maybe they aren't quite comfortable, would you say pass on that, you know, wait till you get someone that's sort of the right fit for you? Or would you say, you know, get out the books, go on YouTube, <laughs> get a certification, <laughs> whatever, learn about it and, and still take mm -hmm. them on. Didn't know if you had any advice there. Cause I feel like that's sort of a common scenario, you know, cause once you're in your position, right? Like you have the luxury of saying, nah, that's, that's not quite my fit. Go, go, you know, work with Bob. Cause you already mm -hmm. have a full roster, but for those new athletes, you know, that's a big deal getting that first mm -hmm. or, you know, getting, getting, uh, getting going. So any advice there? Yeah. Oh, and it's so exciting when you first start to, you get an email, you have a new inquiry yeah. and you're like, yes, I'm getting a new athlete. And then you're like, yeah, you see, they want to run 600 miles in two months or something. And you're like, oh no, this is not, not good. Yes. I, I, definitely saying no to, to, to those athletes that, you know, it's just not there. It's not a good fit is going to save you a lot of, uh, pain in the future, you know, yeah. um, it's just, yeah, you do. You're so excited. You want to take on, you want to get going. You want, yeah. You're like, this is my dream. I want to coach and I want to, you know, I just want to leave my job and just be doing this. It's so great. But really the athletes that aren't a good fit, you got to say no. Um, yeah. the, the right ones will come along. It takes time. It yeah. will, they will absolutely come along they'll start to get to know you in whatever way you market yourself and you'll attract your, your athlete, your client to you. Um, yeah. I've gotten a ton of insane requests, um, <laughs> that I simply say, I know I'm not confident that I'm the coach for you. I'm yeah. so sorry. You know, I yeah. wish you the best of luck, but if you're ever interested in, you know, maybe something that I'm more familiar in, I'll list it out. I'm happy to talk more about your goals. So yeah. yeah. And yeah. sometimes you never know. You have athletes that might come to you and say, Oh, I want to do a try. And I'm not a triathlon coach. And so I explain that. And, but then they might come back in another season and say, I know you said you coach marathons. I'm ready for my first one now. All yeah. right. Now we're talking. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, think of it as it's a connection. It's you're making a communication, a contact with someone um, just because it's a no right now, because you know, it's not a good fit. Doesn't mean that it's a, a never. So yeah. you never know. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. Because I'll be honest with you. I, when again, when I moved to New York City, got a job at this gym, I made that mistake because I, you know, I had to pay like a bazillion dollars rent to live in my, you know, <laughs> one square foot apartment, and <laughs> and I took these clients on who I had no business taking on, completely the opposite of being a professional. And what I found, not only did I not get results from my clients, but I also dreaded those sessions. You know, they might have been nice people, but I knew in the back of my mind that I probably couldn't get the results they wanted, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was also my first job ever doing this in, in addition. And it was just a horrible experience overall. So I learned the hard way doing it the not right way. So kudos to you for, for right out of the, right out of the, you know, uh, start line doing it the right way. So that's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a tough, another tough one, another challenge, but it, Hey, it you learn no matter what, you know, whether you, you, you know, whether, whichever way it goes. You do for sure. So I, I think one of my last questions for you, or maybe the last question for you is what do you consider to be, you know, the biggest factor or factors of, of success for you as a coach, both in terms of getting your business started and, and most certainly growing it to the point where it is now? Oh man. Yeah. The factors of success, which is, it's hard to think about because when I take a step back, it's like, wow, this, this has become successful, but it's hard to say that about yourself, I think, and kind of, um, give yourself the pat on the back that you might deserve. Um, because you kind of just put your head down and grind and you go after it. Right. So when <laughs> yeah. you real when I take a step back, I'm thinking, gosh, what would be my factor? Just my biggest factor to success might be, you know, what I think for me, it is, is I've, I feel like the stars have aligned a little bit. Um, as a dietitian, you know, like I, like I said, uh, went to college and all that, um, kind of being able to work with, um, patients, clients, um, in a, in tons of different settings. I've worked with brand new infants to elderly population over age 100, um, wow. kind of, having that experience and being able to then tie it into what I love and a passion in this life of, you know, I get to work with athletes. So I, I get to pull together this like previous, like it wasn't a coaching career per se, but counseling career. Yeah. Education. <laughs> I get to pull that together and use those skills to help build relationships with my athletes. And I do think that that is probably my biggest factor to success, being able to feel confident that I can help um, in these areas that I specialize in by understanding and listening and communicating with the athlete to try to build those relationships. Because at the end of the day, that's really what it's all about. Um, and like we kind of talked about earlier, it kind of just comes naturally when you really are passionate about something. Um, I do think that that is probably one of the biggest factors I would consider that contributed to the success of um, my business at this point. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes total sense to set that, that comfort level that you had going into it with sort of a not exact same thing, but sort of the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kind of plugging it together. I, I know how to coach people. I know how to get people to their goals. And now it's a matter of like, how do I build a business and kind of tie them together? So yeah, that's been maybe, maybe I would say that was, that's the biggest factor. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for your time. And this is something I probably should have said at the beginning. Um, Rachel's website is Runwell Be Well. That's her coaching business. And we'll have that, that URL. Um, we'll have that on the end screen here as well. So, well, thank you so much, Rachel, for this. This has been awesome. I, I, I mean, I certainly got out a lot out of this. And I'm sure certainly those that are aspiring to be coaches and even those that are coaches looking to grow their business will, um, will get a lot of it as well. So we'll uh, hopefully do this again sometime as you, as you ramp up to your hundredth client, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll go do this again. So thank you so much for your time today. This has been great. Thank you so much. I totally appreciate it. It was great getting to take some time and, and talk about this stuff. Thank you so much. You got it. Thanks so much, Rachel.